Mud Stories, Episode 77. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place who I was 10 years ago as an angry person was only half of the angry person who I was 10 years earlier than that. It was to me better than what I had come from, so therefore wasn't it good enough? I was desperate, honestly, because in, in my heart of hearts, I knew that there was more for me than what I, the way I was living. I just didn't know how to get there. And trying to be more controlling of my life to try to minimize the anger wasn't working. Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are never alone. Hey friend, welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. I am so glad you're here this week. And to you who are joining me for the very first time, welcome. I am so thankful that you've chosen to spend some time here with me because honestly, it is one of my favorite things to do with you each and every week. And I'm excited today because we're going to be talking about something I think that applies to each and every one of us. And that is we all have something in our lives that's muddy. Maybe it's not a circumstance. Maybe it's not an illness or tragedy, or maybe it's not failure that we're, we're really going to focus on today. Really what it is, is characteristics in our hearts, in our lives, in our personality that keep us from moving forward. Things that make us feel stuck, that are feel like it's beyond our ability to change. And today, Elisa Pulliam is here to share with us her journey, her muddy story of abuse and anger and her journey toward forgiveness and life change. But more than that, it's her passion to help walk alongside each and every one of us as we identify those things that are keeping us stuck and surrender to God in a way that allows Him to transform our lives, to become more like Him and to display more of His goodness and love and grace to not only those that we love, but those who we encounter each and every day. And so Elisa is here. I'm so thankful for the rawness and transparency with with which she has come to share her story and to be inspired and encouraged to identify those things that are keeping you back, that are holding you hostage, the things that are feeling like they're stuck places in your life. And she walks alongside us and helps us identify our passions and our desires and our our personality bents and how we can ultimately allow God to transform all of it and use it for our good and his glory in the world. And so without further delay, here is my conversation with Elisa Pulliam. Enjoy. Hey, Lisa, I'm so glad you're here today. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Mud Stories. Thanks for having me, Jackie. I am thrilled to be with you and with your listeners. You know, before we get started, I'd love for you to share a little bit about who your family is and where you live and the things you love to do. Sure. Well, my life's been totally turned upside down in the last six months. So I'm a born and bred uh, New Yorker, Um, but we're in Pennsylvania and my husband is a private school uh, teacher. He's been a teacher since he graduated college and 
Um, we have four children, so our oldest is 16, and then we have a 14-year-old. I still can't believe she's 14. And then twins, so double 10 is what I've double been saying ten. these tens. Double tens, boy and a girl. And they have transitioned to this new life remarkably. We're still a little homesick at times, but yeah. it's been it's been a new adventure. And yeah. I, I'm thankful for that. Well, I know what it's like to have those middle school ages. They're just super fun. They say the yeah. craziest things. Yeah. Yes, they do. The, the, you know, there's certain moments in which everyone's feeling a bit moody, and I don't really enjoy that. But <laughs> the laughter that we can have together and with the littles kind of getting older and the bigs still having not moved out yet, um, I, I find myself treasuring, like savoring, I think is going to be one of my words this year. I just want to savor these moments. I, I feel my oldest is just about ready to fly the coop. And I'm like, no, how could it be? I couldn't wait till this stage. And now it's going to be gone in a blink. Yeah. Savor. savor, savor the moment. Love that. Okay. And what is it that you love, Lisa? What do you do? What, what are you passionate about? What do I do? I, I like doing new things. So I, I'm kind of this idea girl who can't stay focused, I've discovered. <laughs> so this is sort of a problem. Like I do things once. Like I, I paint a large painting once and I do jewelry making once. And I, I'm, right now I'm into uh, like little um, plants like succulents and cactus and I'm planting them all over my house. Oh, and glass goodness. Pots. And so anything that I could put my hands to, I enjoy, which no surprise. I, I like graphic design. I like writing. I like crawling into bed with my husband and watching Netflix like for college kids way yes. too late the night. <laughs> I know. Half of the problem with Netflix is selecting what you're going to watch. Yes. I go on there and I'm like scrolling all the categories and then I'm like, I can't make a decision 30 minutes later. I, know. <laughs> like, I don't no. know what we're so, going to watch. We get hooked on things and then I grieve it because the season ends and I don't know that the season's coming oh. to end and I feel like I lost a friend. Yes. <laughs> It's so yeah. true. It's so true. And then you have to find your next thing. And it's hard to yes. find the next thing, right? Yes. yes. That happens to me with podcasts, too. I'm like, yeah. I used up all the episodes. Like, I find a new podcast, and then I go back and I listen to all of them. Yes. And I'm like, oh, now I have to wait a week. <laughs> right, right. I do the same thing. That's really funny. There should be a club for people like us. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, so fun. Well, um, tell me about life growing up in New York. I know that we all have mud in life. That's what this podcast is about. And you are not a stranger to mud. I know that's, mm -hmm. that's the case. And yet sometimes it's so hard to, to really sort out our mud because some of our mud is private and some of it we as writers share about so that others don't feel alone. And yet don't you feel like we learn so much through our mud, each and every one of us that, um, Sharing it becomes less about highlighting the horror of the mud, but more about um, displaying the goodness of God and how he meets us in those really dark places of life. Because I think the suffering and brokenness that we all go through, because everybody has their thing. I mean, there's, there's not one person on the planet that doesn't have adversity or trial or something. And I think those can be some of the sweetest moments that we can grow and cultivate our relationship with God in ways that aren't really possible when we're not in those deep, hard things. And, and so as you reflect back on your life, take us back to some of those hard things 
or maybe recent hard things that then led you to some of those way back hard things and help us see what God's done in you. Right. Well, I listen to everything you say and it, it's hard to, it's hard to find the where to start in the story um, because my life feels right now like it's been bookend by, by really hard and really redeemed. And so it depends upon which lens like I look through to to tell the story in 10 or 15 years ago this is what I would have said I would have said um my life was a mess and I I would have probably been very crass in my response like that would have been what I would have said even as a woman on a journey of healing just 10 years ago because in that expression there was the anger still in me of what I had experienced. Well, let's start there because there was yeah. a moment you told me when you had this pivotal moment in your family, your husband, your children, mm-hmm. where you had a lot of anger and maybe didn't really realize how angry of a person you were. And it was really damaging your husband and children, and the life you were trying to create. Talk, uh, yeah. talk to me about that pivotal moment, and then we can we can uncover and unearth what you discovered in your journey out of that. Sure. So what was interesting was that who I was 10 years ago as an angry person was only half of the angry person who I was 10 years earlier than that. So if you if you took a snapshot of me as a teenager – or as a 20-something, I mean, I even entered into counseling as a 20-something before I got married because I had anger issues and I knew I had anger issues. But those anger issues at that time would be a very um, emotionally driven reaction to just about anything that set me off, yelling, screaming, carrying on. And it was very familiar to what I had grown up in. And part of that environment that I grew up in was cultural. um, And it was a pass down. This is just the way we express ourselves. But then I married this awesome man who came from a home in which not only did they not yell and scream at each other, they don't really communicate about hard things, period. And so we couldn't be more extreme. There's me who every emotion is on my sleeve. Everything I feel, I feel entitled to express. And so I would vomit on people with my words and my tone and my attitude even as somebody who believed I needed to have a gentle and quiet spirit as the scriptures talk about. And so I just felt like there was something wrong with me in general. So I'm guessing his stability and his um, evenness attracted you to him. Yeah. In a sense, because here you meet this guy who seems really stable and calm. And, and I, and yet when, then when you're in it in marriage, not really, Talking about hard things, I can't even imagine the polarity that caused such it was awful. stress, you know? It was awful. And so what Stephen used to say to me, if you're going to talk to me, you need to not talk to me like that. And he would just kind of hold this position that was firm and he wouldn't walk away and he wouldn't berate me. He wouldn't yell at me. He would just say, like, no, we're not doing it this way. This is not happening. This is not happening. And so I had to learn another way to communicate. And I thought I had improved so much, but there was still this thing in me. And the trigger was about the time my my oldest was eight, um, I I started seeing her behavior through through a different set of lenses. I, I was remembering things from my childhood that I had pushed away. 
and I was watching how my husband was interacting with our kids at the time we, we had two and the babies were little I mean they had just the little ones were just born and um not to mention my, twins let's not yeah, forget not that to mention twins two-year-old twins and, say no yeah. more the Lord just pushed me out of all my love. That's enough to cause an anger problem. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. Sleep deprived for two years. Okay, right. we digress. So, so we digress there. So, so he said to me in, in the middle of a fight, if you really loved me and the kids, you wouldn't treat us this way. And boy, you can mm. imagine if you wanted to trigger my anger, tell me something like that. Right. And I was like, I cannot believe it. I cook, I clean, I pay the bills, I get the kids matching clothes, they're signed up for activities. I'm doing all this, in my opinion, acts of love. But what was coming out of my mouth was not loving. It was harsh and it was critical and it was negative and it was berating. And, and, it was to me better than what I had come from. So therefore, wasn't it good enough? Mm. And I, I really stormed off mad. And we just happened to be going up to visit friends for a weekend. And I kind of told myself, I'm going to tell Emily about this and see what she has to say. Well, Emily um, said, I think he's right. I think you have a problem. I think you need to get help. Mm. Uh, and I write about this in, in Meet the New You it, that Boy, I wanted to just throw the coffee back in her face, but because she had herself been a woman in progress, she was um, somebody that I, I highly respected and thought, well, if Emily says this and my husband's saying this to me, maybe, maybe there's something to it. And I ended up, we came home from that weekend. So she loved you enough to be honest. Oh, yes, and still does. Let's park there a minute because how many times... Would it be easy to be the Emily that just doesn't want to go there, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yet that was a lifeline she threw to you, even though it made you mad. I mean, I'm guessing you probably went to her thinking, well, at least Emily will listen to me and yes. tell me that I'm not crazy and that I've improved so much and I've come along and Stephen's being so terrible and harsh with me, <laughs> you know, all the things that you're looking to validate. And right. yet she does the hard thing and says... I think you need help. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. It was a life gift that both of them gave me. And may we all have the wisdom and the discernment and the courage to speak lovingly to the people who we're close to. You know, we don't have the right to speak that way to all people. Right. But um, I think it's wise, like you did, to go to people who have earned the right to hear our story, who have a relationship with us, who we know have our back, that care mm -hmm. about us. And really come there. I'm guessing you didn't really want the feedback she gave, but kudos to you that you're willing to hear her and well, do something. I was desperate, honestly, because in in my heart of hearts, I knew that there was more for me than what I, the way I was living. I just didn't know how to get there. Mm. And trying to be more controlling of my life to try to minimize the anger wasn't working. Right. You've been and, there and tried that. Yeah. So I, I called a bunch of counselors that week, probably four or five. I was looking for somebody who would take our insurance. I got the list of names from Focus on the Family. Um, they recommend counselors in the area, and I figured, well, that would be a good place to start. And uh, I talked with a couple, and each one said the same thing as I described my life. And this is what I said to them. I said, you know, I know my parents love me. I know they care about me. I know they, they did everything they could to provide for me. But their marriage was rocky. There was lots of screaming and yelling. There were times of silence. There were, there were times in which, you know, we're just crazy. And 
And there was times in which I was hit out of anger, not in a way that was spanking or disciplined. And, you know, I, I compound that with the rebellious years that I had in my high school and college years and a lot of guilt and shame. I was incredibly promiscuous. I made really bad choices. I was put in um, situations that I lived with with regret sexually. Um, and all this was kind of in me. Mm-hmm. And I did not know how to give it over to God mm-hmm. on my own strength. And they and I and I said to them, I don't know why this is all like on me now. I don't understand what my past has to do with right now. Yeah. I have a loving husband. I have beautiful, healthy children. I'm in a loving community. I have a good church to go to. I don't understand the disconnect between how I feel and react and the reality of my life right now. So you were telling yourself a lot of shoulds. I mean, yeah. you, were, you were saying, well, I have this, 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 look at my life. What's wrong with me? Like, yes. I, I should be snapping to it. Like, yes. everything should be magically great. Yes. Mm. And it wasn't. It doesn't work uh, that way. It wasn't yeah. on the inside, and, and it wasn't behind the mask. So my husband saw what was behind the mask. Right. And, 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 I mean, there were stressors on us. We had people that we loved that were dying of cancer you know, that were our age at the time. And, um, there were family strains that were happening at the moment. I mean, there was, there was stuff happening on top of everyday life, but nothing that seemed to validate why I was feeling the way I was. And so each of these counselors, before I even got in a chair in front of any of them said, you're suffering from post-traumatic stress from what you went through as a child. And I thought, isn't that like what people go through in war? Right. I didn't feel like I went through war. I mean, I would never equate what I went through like that. And, and the trigger for me was basically watching my husband and my daughter interact. And it was bringing back memories of my own childhood. Mm. And my reactions and my fears were just trumping truth. Mm-hmm. Well, because the the stuff that happens to us when we're young and growing up, whether it be in our family of origin or in our experiences as young adults, when we put them under a proverbial rug, you know, sweep them under a rug or pack them away in a box in a dark room in our heart, Mm -hmm. they're not innocuous. You know, they're not in a sterile, closed, dry, think about it, no more place. Mm -hmm. They do impact us. And um, that's one of the things that I love so much about your story, which I think will resonate with you who's listening today, you know, you who, you know, you might be understanding what Lisa's talking about. Maybe you have a past and you have a place where you've swept some things under the rug or you've talked yourself out of the fact that anything that happened to you prior to today should really matter or impact how you move forward. And I think what Lisa's here to say is we really need to do some hard work to unpack that because Mm -hmm. it's something that there can be so much healing from if we give God access to it and we decide to show up and do the hard work. Yeah. And see what, what happened for me, and I think it's possible for every one of us, is that giving it to God doesn't change the past. It doesn't erase those circumstances. It doesn't, um, it, it, it's, it's still there. What happened to me is still there. But I no longer have to carry it with me into the future because 
as I went back with my counselor and recounted my memories, gave them airtime with her and with God, I began to uncover beliefs and fears, especially, and um, identity pieces that were formed through my experiences. So what did that work look like? I mean, you meet with a counselor in a room. My process was that I went every couple of weeks for nine months and I would, she'd be, you know, we'd sit down and she'd say, so how are things going? What do you want to talk about today? And sometimes it was focused on what we were dealing with in the moment because you, you occasionally, you need to clear. It's called clearing. You got to deal with what's happening right then and there before you can get to the bigger piece. Okay. Um, and sometimes it was just going straight into some key memories of my childhood. And then I was with a Christian counselor and we went to God in prayer during my counseling session. Now, if that's something you want to do with a counselor, like I, I wouldn't say that standard protocol. That was an opportunity for me that I took hold of. And in prayer, I would, with my counselor's support and encouragement, because it's hard to be courageous on your own, I find. We're better together. Yes. Um, and so I asked God to speak to me about those times, those key memories that I had that I didn't know what to do with. And he spoke to me um, in his still small voice. Uh, in, in what I mean by that is that I, I, I could see in my mind's eye the memory and I would say, you know, God, where were you in that? Mm. And, and what do you say about this situation? How do you really feel about it? And see, here's the great blessing. I, I've been a Christian about 20-something years since college. And I started reading my Bible back, oh, maybe 15 years ago. So not from the point that I became a believer. It took years before I realized that that was important to do. Yeah. And then I started reading my Bible through Bible studies because it's hard to know where to open up your Bible and start. So I was really grateful for the invitation to go to a Bible study. And for years, none of those Bible studies or verses seemed to make any sense to me personally. But suddenly what happened in the season of healing was that scripture truths would come to me. That was the voice of God. So, you know, in, in that counseling session, I would hear God say to me, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have chosen you. You are holy and dearly loved. Well, that, that comes from Colossians 3.12. And what I would do is after a counseling session, boy, I would feel so relieved and so much better. And I would go and journal what I thought I heard God say. And then in the days or, you know, evening ahead, I usually would run home and tell my husband, this is what happened. And this is what I feel like God has said to me. Do you think that this is consistent with scripture? Because he had been a Christian his whole life. So he had a bigger understanding of what the Bible said than I did. I wanted to make sure it wasn't me, but that it was him and, and, you know, the Lord. And so sometimes I would go to a friend who I knew would understand scripture and say, is this consistent? And, and they would confirm it. And, you know, it wasn't that God was telling me, you know, your parents are the worst people in the entire world. They should have never have done that to you. That's not the voice of God. You know, he, he revealed to me through that season of counseling that he loves my parents and is brokenhearted over what they had to experience and how that impacted me. Could you take us back just as an example? Could you 
recall one of those memories that you came to and show us how you applied what then you heard was God's message on the matter? Sure. So there was this one memory that I had in which I I was a little girl um, and I don't know what I was doing, but I remember my dad coming home and he was mad at me. I don't know if I said something. I don't know if he came in the door mad. I don't, I don't really know what happened, but I got in trouble and he was going to start to hit me. And I, in my little brain, ran to my bedroom and jumped into my bunk bed to try to protect myself from being hit. And I, you know, oh, mercy. I, I, I remembered that moment for the rest of my adolescent life. And I honestly, I think that was probably was one of the last times my dad hit me the way he did then. And, you know, but the anger in me that built out of that moment, whether I was three, four, five, I don't remember how old I was, of, you know, you can't trust people, you can't trust men, you can't trust um, authority figures, you better protect yourself first. And then even seeing my mom not being able to do anything about it. And so that built a wall between me and my mom mm-hmm. and, and just made me internalize. Well, in this counseling moment, as I'm recounting the story to my, my counselor, mm-hmm. she said, can we go to the Lord in prayer and ask God what he has to say about it? And I couldn't even start. She started praying because I was still so mad. Mm-hmm. And I'm powerful. And as we began praying, she just kept saying, Jesus, where were you? Where, where were you in all of this? And I said, Jesus, where are you? And my, my eyes are closed. And I'm looking around my bedroom trying to find Jesus. Mm. And then I realized, Jackie, that he was holding me. Mm. And he received the pain first. And what I felt was a reverberation of being in his arms. And... That's what it means when Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And I, 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 oh. So, and then Jesus carried me out of that bunk bed and in my mind's eye, carried me out of the room. And as I looked over his shoulders, I could see my father on the floor, just head bowed, so remorseful. And that was the beginning of compassion on my dad. Mm-hmm. and love for my father like I had mm-hmm. never had before. And I, he, Jesus walks me out of the, the hallway, and I look back, and I see my mom, and I see her brokenness. And I, I mean, I just wept for her. Mm-hmm. I could see life from my parents' perspective and understood their humanness in a way that I hadn't understood that before and began from that moment starting to think about what led to their life as it was at that moment? What had mm-hmm. they been through that had not been dealt with that caused the behaviors and the environment that I was living in? And and Jesus carried me out. And I know this sounds really funny and weird, and I'm sorry about that. But <laughs> he, he, he put me on my bicycle, which I loved to ride my bike. <laughs> and I rode on the handlebars with my hands raised high. And when I said to the Lord, what about my family? He said, I'll come back for them, but I came for you first. I've chosen you and you're mine. Mm. And that was the beginning for me of 
the anger um, diminishing and beginning a life of humility and compassion for, for not only my parents, but for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's not one person on this planet that ever wants to truly hurt somebody else and feel good about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. We do it. Wounded people wound people. Yes. And um, Tell me about as you are having these powerful experiences with your counselor, which she became such a gift to you, to lead you through toward healing that you hadn't even really imagined was possible. I mean, you didn't even really realize you even needed healing. Right. It took a loving husband and a faithful, courageous friend Mm -hmm. to motivate you to even pursue this because I think some people really still perceive counseling as weakness and why can't you get your stuff together why can't you just get over it you know all of the things that you that you hear in your own mind and yet you started through that but your counselor was so wise in incorporating God and his grace and his love in the whole perspective was that uh, a curriculum she used or just she was amazing or, or <laughs> you know, right. I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of you who's listening, who I'm sure you want to know, like, wow, this is resonating with me. And can, can Lisa help me find that? Because I think we all want to resolve those hurt places right. in the way that we're hearing you describe, you know? So it was twofold. Um, one part was that I, I really learned how to use what I now call the trap and transform principle. And it's, it comes from two verses in scripture. One is 2 Corinthians 10.5 that says, Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And so by that, the, the, if we go back to that situation of me in that moment of looking for where the truth was, where was Jesus? The truth in, you know, what, what were my emotions? I was angry, I was hurt, and I felt abandoned by God. But the truth was that he was there and he was rescuing me. And he, was, he, he had this as a part, he was redeeming it. The transform part of the trap and transform is Romans 12, 2, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so I was taking what I was feeling in each of these counseling sessions and looking for God's truth according to Scripture as I was coming out of it. And, and that became a habit. So outside of counseling, if something happened in my, in my family or my home or, you know, the crock pot broke by, you know, my son dropped it in the sink and it cracked and I'm mad. Okay, Lisa, slow down. You're mad. But is this crock pot more important than this child? Know your feelings, but what is the truth about how you want to respond? So that was, that was something that I learned um, through practice of her challenge to pursue the truth, but be honest with my feelings. And then the other part of it was that she um, had written a curriculum for sexual abuse victims and had invited me to participate in the study and in the group therapy. And of course, you know, I was like, I was not sexually abused. What do I need to do this for? Right. And, and she said, because a lot of what you're going through is classic abuse response, trust issues, fear issues, resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness. This is all part of the life story of people who have come out of any form of abuse. 
And so I did it. I did the, I think it was eight weeks or 10 weeks. Um, and came out of that, uh, not only more healed personally, but more sensitive to more compassionate, more humble. Uh, when I realized that way, you know, we all go through stuff mm-hmm. uh, and the junk in the trunk has, has <laughs> comes in all sorts of sizes and, and flavors and experiences and it impacts people very differently. Mm-hmm. You, you know, the personalities that God has given us combined with the experiences that we have spin an outcome that is very different than what anyone else might have. Right. And so while there's not one set way of healing, there no. is parameters and guidelines that we can use to what I'm hearing you say is become more aware of God's deep love for us, his mm-hmm choosing us not because we're amazing but because he is and he chooses us to be his right and then that out of that love it deepening and widening your capacity to have Mm -hmm. compassion on the people and situations that had inflicted so much pain right on you I mean I think it's important to to mention this that you know my journey was definitely a spiritual journey, but it required scientific <laughs> approach because, right. you know, our brain, our brains have what's called plasticity and which means the ability to retain information. And, um, as one person explained to me, you know, we, our brains carve out a path. So if you picture yourself standing at the edge of a field and there's a path that's trodden down that you're taking every time, that's your reactions to life. That's the path you take. It's what you've done. It's there. It's familiar. And it's easy. It's easy. Yeah. To go in a new direction requires pulling out a machete and chopping down that new path. And I would say that most of us might have a moment of adrenaline in which we're like, yeah, we're going in a new direction. Hey, you know, the beginning of the year is notorious for that. Yes. Um, we start going that new direction and then we get sick, somebody else gets sick, you know, uh, we hurt ourselves, something happens, you know, there's a snowstorm, whatever it is, and we get derailed from that path. And most of us, I think, then go back to the old one because the, it's only slightly overgrown and less intimidating to go down than to continue to work on the new path. Right. Well, and we don't know what our identity is going to be on the new path, but we know what it is on the old path, and it's familiar and comfortable. And frankly, sometimes it's just easier and more Ah. noteworthy to be a victim. Oh, yeah. Yeah, taking that new path and putting that effort forward is, is a challenge. But boy, when you start to carve out that new path and you stick at it long enough, even if you end up back at square one, you know, it, it takes seven times for your brain to remember the new path as opposed to defaulting to the old one. Mm. And under strain, it's going to go the old way. So even when you get down that old way of thinking and that old way of living, you'll need to say to yourself, whoops, sorry, didn't mean to be here. Mistake. I'm going back. I'm going down that new one again. 
And how much easier is it when we have someone's hand to hold who also has a machete helping us make yes. a new path, right? Yes. You know, yes. somebody who is going to cheer us on and not say, what are you choosing that path for? That's so lame. You know, right. there are people who try to derail our healing process because it makes them more comfortable for us to stay unhealthy. I don't yeah. anticipate that was the case in your situation. But, no. you know, there are sometimes unsupportive people in our lives who have something at stake that they're going to lose for us to get healthy and oh, healed. Yeah. And uh, we need to find community and companionship to help uh, pick up another machete and help us make a new path. Yes. When I went through that, you know, that first nine months of counseling, I shared by email with a group of about 15 women who were a part of my life from different seasons and areas of my life. And I would send them a monthly update on what was going on because I wanted them to be praying for me. And there were people in my life that I did not share it with because I would have been derailed. Yeah. And, and let me say this, you know, it's seven years later, that old angry person still likes to rise up inside of me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And the the fun part of it, I can't believe I just said old and fun at the same time, but (laughs) The fun part of it is that my older daughters remember the old me. Mm. And when I start behaving that way, they look at me and they'll even say, Mom. And there's a tone in which they say it. And I'm like, I know. Sorry. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. They'll challenge me. And sometimes when they challenge me, I've been ugly about it. And then I have to go and say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I just went down that wrong path again. Will you please forgive me? And, and honestly, my girls are going to need counseling and that breaks my heart, but that's also reality because they experienced not enough in their first eight to 10 years of life of my temper, even though I never raised a hand at them of, but my verbal temper Mm -hmm. and my comments that they're a little gun shy in certain areas of their life. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they handle me in a way that even my husband said this the other day. It's, it's like the girls are still reacting to you as you were instead of as you are. And they're afraid of me getting upset. And mm-hmm. it, you know, I, Leah's 16. I don't know if there's enough time left with her in our home to undo that. And, and so I, I need to put money away to pay for her counseling bill. <laughs> well, and <laughs> I don't say that in a joking way. I, know. I say that in a if I'm going to own my stuff, I'm going to own my stuff. Right. I overheard my husband talking to my middle daughter in the kitchen the other night, and he was describing to her the the home that I have set up for our family and the way we talk to each other and communicate. And how that's unique and it's not something that he grew up with. And I thought, wow, God, that's your redemption. That's your redemption in my life is that I always wanted a home in which there was open communication. And he, in this healing journey that he's brought me through, has given me the ability to communicate openly with my kids and openly in my family and and openly with my dad. I mean, we ended up not speaking for a number of years. I, I really want the listeners to hear this is that my dad is not a Christ follower and he has received forgiveness from me and has asked for forgiveness. 
and I have given it to him. And he has gone to counseling, not with a Christian, and has realized that what happened to him uh, is what laid the foundation for what happened to me and has apologized for that. And we have a sweeter relationship now that just feels like it's under the umbrella of mercy for each other that would never have happened uh, if, if what I went through in the last 20, 30 years didn't happen. So, right. so it doesn't change the side effects of what I went through. Right. It doesn't change the side effects of what he went through. But in God's redemption, he has taken something that was ugly and is putting his light into it. And it's like a broken, I love broken pots because a broken pot that's glued back together has cracks in it that give that pot personality. It makes it totally unique. And when you put a candle in it, it, it sends light into all sorts of different directions. Mm -hmm. And that's how I see my life. I'd rather be a cracked pot <laughs> right? with God's light in me, giving hope to others because more of us are cracked than whole. I don't have met a whole person That's yet. That's right. Then, well, if they think they're whole, they're in denial about their cracks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that's the, so, so yeah. that's where I. And I think that's so encouraging as parents because we're going to mess up. Yeah. Talk about, you know, your children and them remembering, um, what would you say? The old you. <laughs> yeah, the old me. And uh, as opposed to meeting the new you, right? right. Um, and yet that's creating cracks in their own pot, yes. you know, that God is going to use in them in ways that are so good and that are gifts. And so I think suffering and brokenness for kids, not that we try to inflict that on them, but it can be an exciting thing that they actually experience yeah. that because it it deepens their capacity for compassion. Oh, yes. You know, and deepens their ability to put themselves in someone else's shoes. And adversity changes us. And that's God's design. It's interesting. My daughter, you know, we just moved here. And most people would never move a 16-year-old who was a junior in high school. But we did it. And she <laughs> is not only surviving, it's been interesting. One of her closest friendships is with another 16-year-old who's the daughter of a woman who's had a very similar story to mine. And both of us as moms have been transparent with our girls about our lives and our, our current day struggles as a result of that. And now our daughters are supporting one another in that. And it was compassion and, and understanding for each other that really has bonded their friendship. It's, it's interesting. So I think what you're saying yeah. of, you know, we can't spare our kids of suffering, nor in some cases, I think, I think we like to put a mask on and cover it to keep their innocence. But mm -hmm. I, I've taken the approach of transparency from the very beginning. Yes. And it really can be a gift. Them being broken can be a gift. When I say transparency. I've had to learn what that means. I don't mean the play-by-play -play description of what happened to me in any regard, abuse or my promiscuity or my behavior overall. I mean, broad sweeping strokes and God's redemptive hand. So this is what I did, or this is what happened to me, but this is what I've learned since that time. Right. Well, because if we come across to our children as everything is perfect and rosy and happy, 
then when they inevitably hit suffering and brokenness and failure in their own life, they're not going to think that we're people they can come to because they're not going to think we can relate to them. Absolutely. you have recently released your very first book called Meet the New You, a 21-day plan for embracing fresh attitudes and focused habits for real life change, um, which I love that you've lived real life change mm-hmm. and describe some of that to us today. Uh, in closing, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about forgiveness because one of those 21 days that you focus on is choosing forgiveness And you write, forgiveness is about remembering and releasing. Choosing to forgive is like snipping hundreds of wires connected to the bomb hidden in your heart. Unforgiveness wires our souls to the past for explosions in the present. And I just loved how you painted that picture. And I know this is an area, you've already talked about it a little bit with about your dad, Um, there was a time where there was an explosion with him and things blew up to the point where you ceased communicating for some years. And then you already described a little bit about what now has happened, but take, take us through what happened to get you to where you are today, because, Mm -hmm. you know, when things explode like that and there's silence, you know, we can say now, oh, it was so many years of not communicating, but those are painful years Talk to us about forgiveness and inspire us because I know we all have somebody that we need, we're called to forgive. We're called to snip oh, those yes. wires, you know? That, there's even wire snipping happening in my life now when non-family related. <laughs> so, uh, you, you read those words and I was like, wow, I think God wrote that. I did not write that. <laughs> so I, was, I was heeding them as you were reading them. Um, so, yeah, in after that nine-month counseling period, I had been invited to share my story at church, but I felt I needed to get permission from my family. And when I asked my dad, it was the trigger in his life that um, just set him off. Uh, he was not yet ready to deal with what we had been through mm-hmm. as a family. And... Um, I knew in that conversation that things were not good. And we ended up seeing each other a month later. And I drove away from that thinking, I don't know if I'm ever going to see my dad again. There was just a sense that this was, something was wrong. And in um, a month later, I, I picked up the phone. It was after the holidays. I hadn't heard from him. I was afraid that indeed I was right. And we ended up in an awful screaming match where he said things to me a daughter never wants to hear. And I said things to him that I regretted ever saying. Um, and and what happened was four years of silence from that point. Mm-hmm. And about two years into that, um, I went back into counseling because I, <laughs> I really did not know what to do with this. I felt yeah. orphaned. Um, mm-hmm. I saw God working based on what people were saying to me that was counter to the things my father had said, but I still could not figure out how to deal with this. And um, I had read, a, uh, I was in a Bible study, I think it was a Beth Moore Bible study where she talked about forgiveness and, and the decision to forgive, even if you can't have contact with that person, because it's something you do between you and God as the first step. And that's where I began realizing I needed to release this to God and allow him to be the judge instead of me. And so, but that was a beginning process. Um, I had been, um, 
in a, a situation where I really felt the Lord challenging me that this was my trial, but because it wasn't cancer or death or financial loss or a broken marriage, I didn't know how to label it as a trial. Right. But it was my trial. Mm -hmm. And a trial is something that tempts you to doubt God's sovereignty and doubt his love and doubt his provisions and ask the why me question. And in that experience, I really had to learn how to ask God, okay, well, how can I glorify you in this? What do you want to do in me through this? And, and, and I was challenged to really, was my faith just about me feeling good or was it about being faithful to God, even in the tough stuff? And I said, Lord, I, okay. I didn't say yes. I said, okay. And in the six months to two years that ensued, I began to realize I needed to get to a place of honestly forgiving my dad in order to be faithful to God. And in the process of forgiving, when, mm -hmm. when God says, you need to forgive others as I have forgiven you, I, I needed to be obedient to that. Right. There's not and an I, asterisk I, on that, like an no. exception. There's yeah. no exception. Mm -hmm. But I didn't understand what forgiveness was. So that was really challenging. And I, I ended up getting alone um, with, with God for 24 hours and decided to recount alone with him. This was not in counseling. Every memory I had and every reason I had to be angry, period, <laughs> with everyone and in particular wow. with my mom and dad. And I just wrote it out and wrote it out. And I uh, went between reading scripture. Uh, I read the whole book of Isaiah in this 24 hour period. I don't know why Isaiah, but that's where I was and journaled and actually did some pastels um, and prayed and cried and allowed myself to scream at God like the way I wanted to scream at my parents. Mm -hmm. And in the screaming, I began to understand that if this was my wrath over what I had been through, imagine God's wrath. Mm -hmm. If he's a good father, as the scriptures say, he is pretty ticked off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in that, I realized mercy I wanted God now to have mercy on my parents because I realized I, how much I loved them mm -hmm. and decided at that moment to say, you're going to judge them harsher than I am. So why am I going to keep on judging them? What's the point of me carrying out this anger built up inside of me and this judgment on them when God is right. more than capable of handling it. Right. Because number one, he asked you to forgive. And number two, yes. he asked you to do it because he knows that it will poison your own heart if you hang on to it. Exactly. And so that night was the beginning of me forgiving my family and my parents and other people in my life by owning what happened, seeking God's forgiveness for what my part in it, receiving his forgiveness because we can't pay our own debts. That's right. It's not about forgiving ourselves, in my opinion. God forgives us through Jesus' death on the cross. That's what paid the price for what we have done mm -hmm. and what those have done to us. We can't pay our own debt. Right. And so receiving his forgiveness and choosing to forgive my family. Now, I walked out of that weekend lighter, freer, calmer, but 
there would be triggers that would ensue over many, many months that would cause that to come right back. Mm-hmm. To and I'd have to remind myself, nope, we settled this. God, I know I settled this with you. I'm not going to pick this back up and take that ball and chain of unforgiveness and bound it to me again. It's yours. And what it did, the process of forgiveness, the process of settling accounts with God, which is really why I think he calls us to forgive others, is to settle the account, allowed me to move forward with that bomb deactivated. Right. And my anger hasn't been, it's, it's 1% of what it used to be. And that, it, you know, if, if I walked out there at 100% anger level, maybe, maybe at that point I was like 80%, mm-hmm. it, it dropped by, you know, 30% walking out of there and another 20% in the year to follow and another, you know, and it's just been a process over the last five years. Well, and it sounds like that is hard work of killing your own pride, killing your own need for revenge, killing your own feelings of injustice. You did that hard work and then were able to release the results to God in, in as far as dealing with those who hurt you. Mm -hmm. And, um, there was freedom, but in that freedom, Lisa, you still had silence with your dad. It didn't solve that. Right. No, no, no. It didn't solve that. God was so concerned with dealing with my heart. I'm so, I'm so thankful for that. It was two years. Two more years of silence. And and actually the day before I heard from my dad, I had actually been praying for the Lord to bless him and to make his provisions known and to have mercy on him. And I actually thanked him, shockingly, for that four years of silence that we had because I saw the gifts. I saw how I had healed. I saw the impact that my walking out in faithfulness before God, even though bad things were happening to me, was having on my children. You know, it was a testimony. She still loves God, even though this is happening. And there were people that were in my life that I began to realize God had provided them as father figures for my family that I would never have seen before. And so it, it actually, that season actually grew my faith because I realized that the, I could look at things from a human perspective or I could look at things from a God perspective. Right. And God's perspective is that he'll work in ways that we can't even ask or imagine him That's to right. work. We don't even know how to ask for that, the way he's going to work. And so how did you end up reconciling with your dad? How did that come about? He emailed me and asked for forgiveness and owned all of his stuff, which is a miracle. Out of the blue? Out of the blue. No uh, way. Out of the blue. And I, he asked if he could see me. And I replied with, Dad, I forgave you long ago, which was the, one of the most favorite things I've ever said and ever typed in my entire life. Like, I already did it. Mm-hmm. How good does that feel? Awesome. Uh, and, and I said, I will see you. Um, and he and I met for lunch. He came down. Um, he lived out of state. And, and we talked. And I said, you know, tell me why you're, you want to see me again, what brought this about. And I was very guarded. Uh, and I basically, this was not my doing. I didn't plan on saying this. I think God put this on my heart. I know he did. I said, Dad, if you want to have a relationship with me, you need to get yourself into counseling and figure out what exactly is going on inside of you that caused you to act the way you did to me, mm-hmm. not only in the past, 
but when, when we had our falling out. And I said, counseling, Dad, is not a lifetime commitment. It is an opportunity to reconcile the past so that you can be free for the rest of your life mm-hmm. and live the life that you're intended, not bound by what happened and no longer controlled by it. And he, he said to me, he has said to me since, I never heard anybody ever talk about counseling that way. And lo and behold, he booked an appointment with a counselor the following week. And in the next year and a half, I had significant revelation about his life that he shared with me that puts together all the puzzle pieces. Wow. And, and, you know, he's still in progress. I'm still in progress. And, and the beauty of it is that his sister and him were, were pretty much estranged because of what was going on in our family that she felt like she could not prevent a second generation of it happening. And, and honestly, I think what happened to my dad was worse than whatever happened to me. Um, even though I know we shouldn't compare our stories, but that's how much mercy I have on him. And, mm-hmm. and he uh, and my aunt in the last five years have been able to have the closest relationship they ever had even though they lived on either side of the United States. And they, you know, I received emails from my aunt who was, I saw her eight times in my entire life because of what we had gone through, Mm. saying to me how pleased she is. I mean, she, she wouldn't say blessed because she's not a believer, but how pleased, how thankful she is for what transpired between me and my dad and the way that that has changed her relationship with him. And, and she just passed away from cancer over Thanksgiving. And to know that that redemptive part on the story, that even though there were all these years lost, it ended with reconciliation and restoration. And boy, that holds me accountable to walking every day out in humility and forgiveness because I think, well, what, what if I hadn't forgiven my dad? What, what else, how much more of our family could have been damaged um, that, that is now healed? Amazing. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. It's, it's bittersweet. Um, obviously, like no one ever wants to lose a relative, and I certainly didn't want to lose her. And I've learned more about her since she died than I knew when she was alive. And, and actually, I'm sitting at my desk right now, and there's this little medallion that came out of a book that she had. She was uh, very artistic, and she bought this really elaborate book at um, probably some craft fair that somebody made by hand. And it's this little medallion that says "Believe" on it. And you know, I don't know what she believed. Um, she knew what I believed uh, about God and salvation and heaven and, and life now and life in the future. But I just I, I leave that there. And this other part came out of it that says "The End," and it's sitting on the other side of my desk. Mm. And I just think, God, this is the mission you've given to me, the mm-hmm. calling he's put on my life that it started by putting my faith in Jesus and the progress won't be done until he calls me home. Right. And yet there are practical steps along the way that can facilitate yes. the change, right? That yes. can spur us on to being the best us that we can be. I'm so thankful to listen to a story like yours I think gives us all hope that 
you know, we're not crazy that we're having pain or trial or adversity from where we've been. We don't need to just snap to it. There are tools that we need to acquire and people we need to walk alongside us to help us sort through the healing and change that God really desires for our lives to be more full and more able to display him and his goodness through our lives and what he's doing in us. And so I know you've just released this book, Meet the New You. I'd love to hear as my very last question where we can find it, but more than that, why you wrote it and why you were the one to write it. Okay. So um, you can find it anywhere books are sold. Uh, Whatever's convenient for you, go grab it. Um, It is, let me say this about the book. It is a, is not my memoir. Um, it is a book about God and an invitation for you to have a fresh encounter with him through lots of questions and exercises that you can do. So it's, it's a, a very great, practical book. Very practical. It's 21 days, short reading. You take as long as you want. There are good questions for discussion that I, I really believe we're better together. So to do this book with somebody else or in a group, so that you can be discussing and praying and, and encouraging each other towards growth, I think would be fantastic. It It's set up using life coaching um, insights. So moving you from where you are today, getting a vision of how God made you, understanding the obstacles standing in your way, looking for solutions that are very practical, time management, priorities, boundaries, space, forgiveness, um, and then a vision of well, you know, why are you here? And what is it that God's giving you an opportunity to accomplish? Um, So I wrote this book uh, because my agent told me to. (laughs) 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 Which is, or my husband told me to. Um, I No, Lisa, you wrote this book because you've lived this book. I've lived it. That's what I'm trying to say. Because I think in your story that you've shared with us, you've given us an example of change. Yeah. These are tools that you've lived. And that's why you were the one to write it. It is. But I didn't know that when I said yes to it. Right. It wasn't until I was in progress of actually writing it that I realized this is the book that I was made to write. And if it's the only book I ever write, it is the book that depicts what God has done in my life and creates a handbook for women and maybe men, I know some men who are going to, going to read it, right. um, to, to find a roadmap and a place of encouragement. Uh, it's the book I wish I had <laughs> over the last 20 years. Um, and yet I'm so grateful that I've been able to write it. So we're going to give a book away today. Yay! We're going to give a book away. And so uh, if you're listening, all you have to do is go to the show notes of this page and leave a comment on my site right there and tell me and Lisa why you need to meet a new version of yourself. What is it that you're hoping um, God can show you or that you um, want God to meet you in? And uh, we'll meet you over there in the comments. We will meet you there. And if you want to tweet at us, uh, you can find us on Twitter. I think I'm at Jackie underscore Watkins. Lisa, what's your, uh, what's your Twitter? My Twitter is uh, my full name, Elisa Pulliam. Elisa Pulliam, Mm -hmm. which your nickname is Lisa, kind of like my name's Jacqueline and I go by Jackie. Yeah. 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 
All right. Well, I cannot wait to meet you over in those comments. And I know Lisa is willing to hang out with us there. So tweet at us, comment. I can't wait to give a book away. And uh, maybe one of you will meet the new you by going through her tools that she has to offer. So Lisa, thank you so much for uh, coming to Mud Stories and uh, bringing us to your mud and in and through and out of it. Thank Loved you, Jackie. It. It's been such a, a blessing and honor. And, and, uh, just the right place to share as much of my story as I have. I don't think I've ever shared all these details this publicly before, but it feels like your place is holy and sacred and that's where it needs to be done. Well, thank you. I'm honored. And we are just longing for God to be glorified in the awesome work he does meeting us in our hard places. And for you listening today, we want you to know, no matter what you're facing, God's going to meet you too. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, Lisa, have an amazing week. Much love to you. You too, Jackie. Okay, bye-bye. Well, that's all for this episode. I cannot wait to meet you over in the show notes. I want to hear what is it you want God to meet you in this year? How do you need his transforming power in your life? What is it about what you're facing, what you feel stuck in, that you need God to move? And Lisa and I would be more than honored, super privileged to be able to interact with you over there. You can get to the show notes by going to JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 77. And if you're listening right now through that purple podcast app with iTunes. All you have to do is click on the little tiny strip at the bottom that's playing this episode. That's going to open up uh, the artwork for this show, which is a picture of me that says Mud Stories with Jackie Watkins. Click on the picture and underneath is going to appear the text that describes this episode. I'm going to have a link there for you. It's going to be in purple. It's going to be JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 77. You can click right through there to get to the show notes page and leave a message for us. And we can't wait to meet you over there. And we'd really be honored to pray with you too, whatever it is um, that you're facing, that you need God's transforming power this year. Um, What a privilege it'll be to see you there. And also, while you are on that page where the link is, underneath there's going to be um, a link that says subscribe or leave a rating or review for this show here. And it would bless me so very much if you'd be willing to subscribe to the show or leave a rating or review. And that is a link that's just for you. Click on that. It'll take you straight through to a page where you can push subscribe and you can also uh, click to leave a rating or review. Just type a few words, maybe one sentence. It is a way that shows iTunes that you like this show and it helps them know to show it to more um, listeners in iTunes and it's a way for more people to be encouraged by these muddy stories and so share share this show too with a friend you know if there's somebody that you think needs one of these episodes that's going through something hard it would be um, such a blessing and a gift to be able to meet them in podcast form and encourage their hearts it's my greatest desire to do that and so um, yeah I can't wait to meet you over there in interact with you. Thank you so much for filling out those surveys. If you still would like to be entered to win one of two $25 Amazon gift cards or a 30-minute Skype session with me, I'm going to leave the survey open just a little bit longer. You can get there and give me your feedback. I just can't wait to hear from you. I want to know what you want. I'm going to be mixing some things up with the show, and I would love to hear your feedback. You can go to JackieWatkins.com forward slash survey and uh, join us over at the Mud Stories Gathering Facebook page. 
where we've been over there interacting and, uh, you know, talking about what we love, scripture we love, circumstances we're in. And if you are female, sorry, guys, it's a female only group. We would love to have you over there. And maybe I'll put that link there, you know, underneath the artwork in, in the Purple Podcast app as well. Sorry to you Android users if you don't use the Purple Podcast app. Um, I'm not trying to ignore you. You can always go to the show notes page and all the links will be there, including the survey, the uh, Facebook page, and uh, leaving uh, comments for Lisa and me to be entered to win a copy of her latest book, Meet the New You. And so today, whatever it is you're facing, no matter what you've been through, no matter what is coming ahead, let's all find a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day. I never Mother feels a press upon my mind, a pull of shame that leaves me a little bit blind. I cannot see beyond the blame, and I never will find a way out. And then I feel you next to me. You lift my head to see. Your strong arm reaches to me. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I never any mother feels a press upon my that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul song to sing, a grateful song to sing.